I stop for a minute and I start crying from just like the, the physical pain. Yeah. And then it's just like physical, like emotional, spiritual, like moment that I just feel completely uh, anchored to the present. Tribe, what's happening? Hope you're staying positive, you're smiling, you're hugging, you're shaking hands, you're kissing babies, you're doing all the things that won't only bring you happiness, but happiness to the folks around you. Hey, today I'm bringing one of my great friends, Bernardo de Alba. Bernardo left a business development job that paid very well to pursue a life of demanding physical and emotional exertion as an ultra athlete. Now, here's a guy who walked away from a great job to pursue a passion of his to become an ultra athlete. So he's one of these guys, triathlons, mutters, marathons, all of those things that I'm kind of scared of. I kind of topped out at marathon and said, that's it. Bernardo is in the deep end. And I think some of the lessons that he has for you, even though you may not be an ultra athlete and hey, maybe you haven't been on a treadmill in 25 years. Regardless, so many of the lessons that he brings from the world of ultra athletes competing at a high level, you can use in your life. So let's tune in and listen to Bernardo de Alba. Welcome to the tribe, Bernardo, man. Glad to have you in. Darren, thanks, thanks for having me in. Man, we're old friends and um, this is something that's been on my mind for a while, but your life trajectory is is a story that a lot of people need to hear, especially in the tribe. Folks who are they're thinking about transition, they have some people around them who may be supportive, some of them may not be. But I want to take it all the way back to high school for you. If I were to come into your high school, 11th grade science class, pull you out into the hallway and ask you, what do you want to be when you grow up? What would the answer have been? <laughs> <laughs> Professional soccer player. No doubt. No doubt. Professional soccer player. I was, uh, I, was, I was high school varsity. I was at forward for the team. And I mean, I, I just saw a future uh, in, in soccer. What I didn't really have at the moment was the work ethic to be able to uh, manifest that dream. Hmm. And that's so you can look that back and say, like, honestly, you didn't have the work ethic then? No. I was just, I was talented. Uh, and, same, and same in school. Like, I, I never really worked hard. I just showed up, did well. And it's what I did in school. It's what I did with my friendships. It's what I did with sports. You know, I'm 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 a charismatic guy, and I just I can show up and and do well. Yeah, yeah. So let me ask you this: Where'd you grow up? Mexico City. Okay. So what was that like? What What was the city like growing up? Mexico City's chaos, man. I mean, there's there's about 24 million people in Mexico City. So I mean, traffic. Crazy traffic, pollution. I mean, those are kind of like uh, the the uh, the downsides of Mexico City. But at the same time, Mexico City is a very dynamic city. Yeah. There's uh, people from everywhere in the world. Their art is is big. The arts uh, the arts are really big, and, yeah. and uh, soccer uh, is massive. Yeah. And uh, there's something to the Mexican culture. It's like family, food, getting together that I was able to bring to the united states when so so i i i i I would say that i am not only bilingual but i'm bicultural because i grew up Mm -hmm. in mexico city and i know the culture and then i also like moved to the u.s when i was 12 and i learned the culture as well as the language so you think some of that charisma is a part of just the environment of being in a place where 
like you said, it's about family. It's about fun. It's about like enjoying your time together. Um, and growing up in one of the world's largest cities mm-hmm. gives you this sense of like just wanting to enjoy. Yeah, time, I, huh? I just grew up with a very open mind. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I mean, it was Fridays we would go to my grandparents' house on my mom's side, and then Sundays would go to my grandparents' side uh, on my dad's side. And throughout the entire week, we just looked. I just I just looked up to seeing my family and spending time with them. And so we just, you know, family and friends are what I've always valued and prioritized in life. At what point did you know that professional soccer was not going to be a reality? So I always thought it was going to be a reality. Uh, and people around me were like, yeah, like, Bernardo, like, you're not scoring as many goals as you should be. You're not, like, making the right passes that you're going to be doing. You're not really – we don't really – my coach told me, uh, Coach Villarreal, and he was like, you're not really putting in the work that it, that you need in order to be a professional soccer player. You know, the math – He told you straight up. Yeah, <laughs> the math just doesn't add up. Like, yeah, you have talent, and, yeah, you score goals here and there, and you do well sometimes, but if you want to be a professional soccer player, you have to be on point every single time. Talk about the uh, importance of having people that just shoot you straight, like – because, you know, there are a lot of folks out there that think people who are in coaching positions who feel like they want to be your friend first and they'll tell a kid anything that he or she needs to hear just to get them to the next day. Like, how did that honesty feel like to you when you're 17, 18 years old? It, uh, you don't want to hear it. When you hear that young, you don't want to hear it. But I mean, looking back in retrospect... You know, I'm so thankful for the people that that Mm. told me those things. And now when somebody tells me that up front, like what their thoughts are and what they see from their perspective, especially if somebody that has more experience than me in in certain something, I like value it and I honor it because I know that what they're telling me, even though it sounds, even though it's the truth and it it can hurt sometimes, Mm. they're looking out for my best interests. And so I've just learned how to like take the criticism and, and grow from that. Yeah, It gives me a different perspective on where I am. Why the University of Texas? What what went into that decision of where to go to college? Yeah, uh, so I was actually, I started university at UT San Antonio, and then I visited friends that were at UT Austin, and I it was roundup week, and where all the fraternities have their uh, big parties with uh, performers in order to recruit people and to just show, the fraternities kind of like show what they have, you know, like in, from a social perspective. And I came to that, and I was like, man, it was like, I'm a very social person and like I I just saw like what it was and I was like, man, what am I doing in San Antonio? Hmm. Why am I UTSA when these guys are having 10 times more fun than I am? And so that was that was a big uh, that was big in me wanting to apply to Texas. And also came the academic challenge Hmm. of applying to Texas that kind of made me think about it more. I was like, you know, I'm going to it's going to be very better university and I'm going to have more fun. Yeah. So that's kind of what I thought when I applied to UT. And the first time you apply, you don't get in. Mm -hmm. So what does that feel like? You know, you and I kind of share this whole, you know, getting waitlisted or rejected. Can you remember how did you receive it? Was it a letter? Was it an email? You check online somewhere? It was. Yeah, it was an email. It was an email. uh, And man, I mean, I, I think that when somebody says no, to me, and if it's something that I really, really want, I will do whatever it takes for me to get a yes. Now, why is that? Okay, so this is I, because some people would sit at that computer and get the email and say, well, I guess it wasn't for me. Why do you think you have that reaction to know that, that you want to find a way 
to flip it? Is it genetic? Is it like because no, I'm 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 like I'm not just asking for like just the sake of the podcast, but this is something I'm really trying to figure out. Like, why are some people resilient to say, "All right, I'm gonna find some way to flip this," versus yeah. screw it, I'm just gonna I'm gonna stay where I am. That's a that's a great question. I I I think that I've always had it in me too. When somebody says no or you can't do this or that's too hard or that seems impossible. It just almost gives me more uh, fuel to go and get it. So when I got the no from Texas, I was like, man, who do they think they are? You know, like, who do they think they are? Like, they can turn me down from attending one of the best universities in, in the country. Yeah. And so I was just like, I'm better than that. And I deserve to go to that university. And so the only way for me to get in was to put my head down to get really good grades. The next, I remember I took 18 hours the next semesters mm. and I got a 4.0 that semester at UTSA. So I sent those transcripts in and, and I was like, I'm going to take the heaviest course load and I'm going to get all A's. That's what I thought. And so I took 18 hours and I was pre-med at the time and it was, they were all sciences and I got a 4.0 and then I sent that in and they're probably like, oh, this guy <laughs> flipped it around. And so when I sent that, I got the yes. And that was one of the best moments like in my life. I was just like a dream come true. This is something, I mean, I, I, for folks out there, you know, listen to the tribe who are, it doesn't have to be getting, you know, college admission. It may be joining the startup, joining the nonprofit, whatever it is there is like a very real point where it's just you and the rejection, like staring each other down <laughs> where you really got to make a choice, like how you're going to respond. Mm -hmm. And it's usually those moments of the ones where if you don't make the right decision, this is a regret you'll have. Like you'll be that guy at the bar at 75 talking about what could have been right. Yeah. But you say, okay, screw it. I'm going to go, I'm going to take 18 hours in pre-med, so yeah. all sciences, mm -hmm. and then when I get the 4.0, I'm going to copy the transcript and send it back to Austin, and that's going to that's gonna get me in. Yeah. Man. So you get to UT, you're a, soft, you're a junior, sophomore? Uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. How did it compare to Roundup Weekend when you get here, like, on campus, full-time? So <laughs> I remember, I was taking OCHEM my first semester at UT. Organic chemistry for you folks. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, man, that was a slap in the face. I keep hearing about it. You know, I'm a liberal arts guy. People talk about organic chemistry. Like, what what is organic chemistry? It's just how chemical compounds react with, with each other yeah. and, like, measuring their reactions from these compounds. And... Oh, man, it was so... I failed. I got a D plus. Yeah. And that was just like a, a wake-up call my first semester at UT. So I was like, man, like I really... Because I was having a lot of fun. I was going out. I was 636, <laughs> uh, getting to know people, being a social butterfly. And then when it came down to like the reason why I came to Texas, I wasn't delivering on that. And mm. I told my parents that I would, I would do well. And my first semester, I did not do well. <laughs> But it was just a reality check that I needed. Hmm. So talk about, you and I are both Cowboys. Um, talk about how that, that organization, Texas Cowboys, oldest men's service organization on campus, how did that help you to kind of build community and relationships? Absolutely. And funny enough, I also didn't get into Texas Cowboys the first time that I applied. <laughs> It I was round know. two. Yeah, round yeah. two. Yeah, it was round two. You got a two. history of this, like. Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, yeah, round yeah. two. Yeah. 
And uh, yeah, I mean, one again, once again, when I uh, when I got in, the, when I applied the second time, and I uh, got in, it was another like I, you know, I saw my ever since I, the first time I saw the Cowboys, the wearing the chaps, the hat, shooting the cannon at football games. I just saw myself. I pictured myself as being one of them, yeah. and so I was like, I'm 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 one of them. Before even I was part of that group, hmm. and so I didn't get in the first time, and it, it hurt. And then the second time around that I got in, I was like. I just felt so good walking out of that interview. Uh, and then I get in, and as I get in, like, just my um, avenues for, to, like, meet people and socialize just completely, like, it was like they were on steroids. Mm. All of a sudden, I was friends with people on the football team, uh, friends with the guys on the basketball team, mm. uh, friends with all the guys, all the presidents of all the fraternities. Uh, and it's just, like, my social life just completely went on steroids. Mm. And I just met some really amazing guys through Texas Cowboys and... I just learned so much learned so much about myself because we do a lot of community service mm. and through service you learn a lot of things. Yeah, you become self-aware. Yeah. And so that self-awareness is something that I still carry on from from being in Texas Cowboy. And talk about the service project. I mean, you just weren't involved. I mean, you spearheaded a major service project while you were at UT. Can you talk about just kind of the impact that that had on you. Yeah, absolutely. And and when you become a Texas, a Texas Cowboy, you have to go do some service at Rosedale School. There's like mentally and physically challenged people. And so my first semester when I did that, it really, it was a really eye-opening experience because as I started working with these children, I I was like, man, I just became so thankful of the little, the simple things in life. I was like, man, I can, I can speak, mm. I can speak my mind, I can move, I can tell my parents that I love them, I can say thank you, and these children like are born with, they can't express themselves. But mm. I was looking at them, and I, I, I can, I could just feel that they're in there. They just don't have the means to express themselves, wow. and so that made me feel really thankful of what I had. The things that people kind of take for granted, hmm. oftentimes. You raised a lot of money. We raised fifteen thousand yeah. dollars to uh, build a sensory room for the children, where they can go in and have their episodes. Uh, there's and uh, they they can go in there and they can really have uh, be themselves. Is yeah. how I kind of looked at it. If they can be themselves. They can be, have their episodes and just kind of clear the air. Uh, and so yeah, we were able to raise with the help of the entire chapter. Of course, we were able to raise fifteen thousand dollars and we presented a check to Rosedale School and how did the that feel? Yeah, how did I mean, I look back at those moments in my life and I have to say that it was some of the times that I was the most fulfilled and mm. giving that check over to that uh, school was one of the best experiences and just the fulfillment that I had, it, 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 priceless, priceless. And it's also, and I can just tell from your expression, like the appreciation that they have. It's one thing you sort of find out, you know, my, my family, and I, we do some volunteer work, but it's like just the appreciation is so different than what you see from from other people who feel like you owe them something or they're mm -hmm. they're owed something from other folks. Mm -hmm. But when you give something like that sort of a gift, fifteen k, to build a room where, like you said, they can have their episodes and kind of calm down and be in a kind of get back to a normal state mm -hmm. that goes so far. Yeah, and I think sometimes we spend so much of our efforts trying to impress people who won't appreciate it, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, a large part of my life has been sort of aimed at trying to impress the right people. Yeah. And then you realize, like, for what? Yeah. Right? Like, it's never going to be enough, but something like that kind of reminds you of what kind of impact you can have. Absolutely. And, and I mean, 
I was so happy. I was the happiest and the most fulfilled I've ever been when I when I when I give the most. Hmm. And doesn't matter if it's like if you're giving financially, or if you're giving uh, just by saying thank you, or if you're doing somebody a favor. Uh, it's just always kind of when you do something for others without expecting anything in return. I just feel that like that just fills your soul. It just yeah. fills you up as a person. Yeah. Uh, now your life has sort of come full circle. How old are you? Twenty six. Twenty six. So. 17, 16, you're thinking professional soccer player. Yeah. And you've you've circled back to the world of athleticism. Yeah. Right? But coming out of college, I'm going to ask the same question I asked to you about high school. If I were to come into your senior class at UT and say, what do you want to do when you leave here? What was the answer? No idea. You had no clue? No clue. Wow. Yeah. So was it one of those after changing courses after, you know, from pre-med, mm -hmm. you just, nothing really moved you or? I, and to be honest with you, I changed from being pre-med into economics because I got scared of the work. Hmm. The years, like, you know, just medical school into my 30s, the residency, fellowship, everything. I got, I got scared of the work and I was yeah. like, I want to enjoy my 20s. So I was like, I can make an impact on people. Hmm. It doesn't have to be like, clinically or, or you know doesn't have to i don't have to be a medical doctor for me to make an impact on people yeah. and so that's something that a good friend of mine a mentor of mine kent lance hmm. made me see and so he was a big when i was going through that he was like hey bernardo you don't necessarily have to be a doctor to help people hmm. and that resonated well and i was like you know what that's right i can do other things and still be able to have an impact yeah so bernardo and i share um, a great mentor and friend and kent was also there for me when I was really? saying, hey, I want to go from law and coaching, football. Uh -huh. Yeah. And this kind of brings up something. You know, I don't know how you find these people. I mean, we were both blessed. I think that Cowboys, this organization was the way that I met Kent. You Same met Kent here. through yeah. Cowboys. So I think it makes it probably our stories for folks out there, find some way to get connected. Like, you never know what sorts of... Um, good things can happen from you just putting yourself out there. Absolutely. And you get around these people who are just the ultimate encouragers. Yeah. And he's telling me it's okay to graduate from Harvard law and go into football coaching. And that was something I wasn't hearing from very, from that many people at all. Yeah. My friends, family, they were not saying that Kent Lamb was, Kent Lance was, was there. So I think that just reaffirms, you got to find people who are constantly pushing you, um, you know, to do what you feel like is right. So mm -hmm. your first job coming out of college, what was it? I worked a sales job at a company called SHI doing doing sales. So okay. I was selling technology, business to business, servers, software, heart, anything, technology, uh, I was selling. You were selling it. Yeah. And so did you travel a lot? Were you, were you... No, no, no. My first job out of college, uh, I didn't travel. I was just yeah. cold calling, uh, building relationships with prospects and make making them into customers yeah. and that's what i did for my first year uh at shi and then from there i made a transition into a company called snow software it's a swedish company and i was doing i got hired on to do business development and that's what i did so just looking for uh for customers okay on a scale of one to ten with one being um absolutely hated it to ten being had the best time of my life how would you rate your first job experience 
I, I did not like it. Hmm. I didn't like it, but I, looking back, I think that I needed to go through that to appreciate. Now I'm so appreciative of, of what I'm currently doing. Hmm. And I'm thankful that I went through there because it gave me that perspective. I, I one to 10, I, you said zero, not liking it and 10 liking it. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was a zero. I didn't like it at all. I hated going into that office every single day. Wow. How many years did you spend there? So I was there for one year. Okay. Yes. And then next gig. Mm-hmm. I was there for a year and eight months. Okay. Yeah. Now, we're going to bring back some of the like athleticism. Where is your running? Like, are, are you running now? Are you jogging? Like, are you working out your yoga? Like, what are you doing from like an athletic perspective while you're working these jobs? I am. So I started running when I graduated college. Uh, and I wake up at five in the morning. Uh, every single as when I was working in, in, in for a corporation, every single day that I worked at a corporation, I worked at five in the morning, train, go to work, generally uh, eat lunch, work again, and then after that, I lift weights. Hmm. Every yeah. single day. Every single day. Worked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At, when I started running. Yeah, when you started running. Yeah. And what prompted you? Like, what got you into running? So when I graduated college, I wanted to do something that would challenge me physically and mentally, and I always. Th- Growing up, I saw the 26.2s on people's cars. And when I asked my dad what that was, he was like, that's a marathon. And I'm like, a marathon is 26.2. And he's Hmm. like, 26.2 miles. And when I first heard that, I thought that was crazy. I was like, how do people run 26.2 miles? That's that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. How do you do that? (laughs) It's funny because it's it's like I used to see that those 13.1s and... 26.2. 26.2. Have you seen these 0.0s? Some people, it's like a funny thing. It's, it's like, they, they, it's they're like, making fun of, yeah, 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 yeah. it's like 0.0, but you saw the 26.2. Like, what is this? I was like, yeah, what is that? And like, when I found out what it was, I was like, how do you, I was like, that's impossible. That's how do people do that? <laughs> and so that's, uh, in which I, you're training for, for a marathon. Correct? Yeah. November 10th, man. Hey, it's coming down. That's, that's going to be an amazing experience. <laughs> yeah. 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 So you so you saw it. And you're like, okay. Now, did you once you learn your dad tells you that this is 26.2 miles? Yeah. In your mind, were you thinking I'm going to do that at some point? Absolutely. Okay. I was like, it just sounds so impossible that I have to go conquer the the impossible. <laughs> so you're okay. So you're training. Mm-hmm. What does this look like? Like, are you going online and getting some plan? Are you like finding people who run? Like, so I uh, I actually started reaching out to uh, a, a, a guy that I worked for in college, uh, real estate guy Noah Wright, hmm. and I started reaching out to him. He was a professional triathlete, uh, and I when I worked for him, I knew that he was racing pro as a triathlete, and I would just reach out and ask questions. He'd be like, "Yeah, you want to run about this amount of miles per week? You want to break it down like this?" You want to do like a couple 20 milers before before the race. So I just started reaching out to him, asking him questions. So that was kind of like where I was like leveraging all the information and what mm-hmm. I needed to do in order to to start racing and, and competing. Now, the people who knew you, are you telling them about sort of your side hustle? You know, like, are you telling them that you're doing this, like you're serious about it? Or so I wasn't really serious. I mean, I just wanted to do something that... Um, Something that I thought was impossible. Uh, and then as I started doing it and, and training and lifting weights and running, and I fell in love with, with the lifestyle, the process, the work. Hmm. Um, and I remember I ran the marathon. and uh, So that was, hold on, uh-huh. was that your first race? That was my first race. 
Your first race was a freaking marathon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> You're like, screw the fives and the tens yeah, yeah. and, and the third and the halves. What? So that was my first. Uh, yeah, I'd never done a 5K, never done never done anything, any sort of, sort of like running competition. That was my first race, a marathon. Hey, listen, I don't know if there's some like legal disclaimer, you know, um, you know, don't take this as any sort of advice to do this crap. Don't sue us if you're trying to. Your first race is a freaking marathon. My first race is a marathon. Okay, yes. what was your goal going into it? What was my goal? Yeah. Just, I just wanted to finish. Just, wanted to finish. just want to prove my, to myself that it's actually possible to run a marathon. Okay, talk about what you see. Like, there's a certain sort of environment. Like, I don't know how to describe it, but just the starting line itself. Like, all the different kinds of people who show up to run 26.2 miles. Like, what does that look like and feel like? I think that, I mean, the race day is just an amazing, it's it's, it's just amazing to see everybody line up and, and about to go run a crazy distance. And I think that a lot of the people that do this is because they're in a competition against themselves to mm. prove to themselves that they can do something amazing. And mm. that's what I wanted to do. I was like, I wanted to prove myself that I could do something that my dad didn't think I could do, that, you know, people didn't think that I could do because it sounds crazy, 26.2. What kind of a runner are you? Are you listening to music? Are you just, or, or is it silence as you're running? As, as I'm training, I generally listen to music. And then sometimes I don't listen to music. Hmm. It's just kind of, sometimes I'm like, you know, I want to listen to music. And sometimes I'm like, I just need to like think. Mm. Yeah. How long did it take you to finish that first 26? It was four hours and seven minutes. Man. And at what point, like, over 26 miles, what was the point for that first race for you when you're like, damn? Like, did you hit a wall or, or did it get to My, a point? Oh, yeah. Mile 22, I hit the wall. And at the same time, I had one of the most beautiful experiences I've ever had. It was mile 22, and I got to that mile marker, and I, I just had so much pain in my calves, in my quads, like just my lungs. And, and I stopped for a minute and I start crying from just like the the physical pain yeah and then it's just like phys it's like a physical like emotional spiritual like moment that i just feel completely uh anchored to the present and like just seeing it, like my surroundings not really thinking about the past not really thinking about the future but i'm just like fully anchored in the present and i'm just i'm crying and i'm like bernardo you're gonna you're gonna pull it together you're gonna pull it together and you're gonna finish this race and so I, I took like a couple minute break and then i mentally it was like breaking uh mental chains that i had and wow. as soon as i kind of like make that breakthrough in the race i start jogging again and the fastest miles of the race that i ran that day were from mile 22 to mile 26.2 what the fastest miles of, of that day okay you said something about being mentally anchored in the present mm -hmm. and i hadn't thought of this where you know if it's a 5k or a 10k you can sort of run off of adrenaline and you can be there but you can probably also be somewhere else. be somewhere else mm -hmm. 22 miles in like there's nowhere to go, right? There's nowhere like, to go. It's just it's 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 you, you and your thoughts. That's all you got. What like what's the internal dialogue? Like what does that sound like? Like what's the most negative thing you're telling yourself then? 
Mm-hmm. And then what are you coming back with in terms of positivity? To- so, yeah, I'm telling myself, man, I want to quit. Man, I just want to pull out and, and I just want to go home, you know. <laughs> Mom, pick me up. Mom, pick me up. Come pick me up. <laughs> I'm tired. <laughs> and you started crying. Yeah, I'm crying from the, from the physical pain. I, You know, I'd never ran that much. The most I ran in training was 20 miles. Yeah. And I, and you're pushing yourself more in, in, in the race than you do in training. It's just how racing is. You always push yourself way more in a race. And so not finishing what people would think uh, mm. that, you know, I, I said I was going to run a marathon and I wouldn't, wouldn't be able to finish. So I'm thinking all these things uh, and I'm like, man, screw that. Like, I am going to finish this race even if I'm crawling through the finish line. Mm. And that's the mentality that I had. I was like, I, I, I either finish or... Or I finish. There's like no other option here, you know? <laughs> You're like, either I finish or I finish. That's it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then crossing the line. I, as soon as I crossed the finish line, I said, what's next? I want more of that. Like, I want more of that. And Mile 22, you're breaking down crying. Yeah. 26.2, you cross the red line. You're like, whatever me, that was. Give me more. Give me double that. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. Wow. And that's when I signed, uh, Noah uh, inspired me to sign up for a triathlon. Mm. And my first triathlon ever was a half Ironman. Okay, which... so translate for folks, you know, people have probably seen, everyone's seen Ironman and triathlons and half Ironman. What, what's the denomination of like distances for each category, like within, like yeah. how long is a run? So a uh, full Ironman is a 2.4 mile swim. 112 mile bike ride and then a marathon after and so in that is it in that order like how does in that order swim bike run okay yeah (laughs) okay 2.4 miles swim yeah the bike is 112 and then a marathon 26.2 yeah okay in that order in that order okay yeah and so my are you crazy what the (laughs) hell are you talking about He's sipping coconut water, by the way. I mean, what the... What? I had a raise yesterday, so yeah, I, I got to right? hydrate. <laughs> yeah. Man, you know what? I, I saw your Instagram post and I thought, oh, man, I, I wish I had known. Of course, you're going to schedule something the day after. I would have been like out of commission for a week. Oh, but, no, 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 no. <laughs> dude, no you're no, going. No, no, no. Yeah, you got you to... You know, life is too short to not be going every <laughs> single day. You know? <laughs> okay, so... How do you even get your mind prepared to tackle the training for an Ironman? Oh, man. So what made me uh, a big factor in me being able to train for that, it was it was picturing myself running on the red carpets and crossing that finish line at the where the Iron Man, like when and the guy and the 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 guy with the microphone saying, you're an Iron Man. Mm. And I just pictured myself like tr- like victorious like crossing the finish line finishing an iron man that thought made me help me so much get through all the training just knowing visualizing me crossing the finish line was a huge fat like huge factor in me getting all that crushing all that training so that whole image and the audio like that was just a continuous loop in your brain oh yeah oh yeah it was something that i wanted and something again that i thought it was impossible um and that that thought, that vision, that, you know, having the faith that I could do that and achieve that was huge for me to be able to actually cross that finish line. What did the training regiments, like, what did that require? 
So you're getting on the bike three times a week. You're running three times a week. You're swimming. I was swimming twice a week. You're lifting weights a couple times a week, and I was doing yoga a couple times a week as well. And so, of those, like, what sorts of distances were you working with in each of those three? Like the swim, the runs, as, as on a tra- like training. Yeah, training. I, I mean, uh, a, a training day could be you're going to swim 3,500 meters in the pool. And then, you know, in the morning and then you go to work and then you do yoga during lunch. And then after uh, after you get off work that day, you go and you run eight, nine miles. That's a training day for Ironman. And you loved every minute of it. I love every single <laughs> minute of it. Yeah. Are you just wired this way? I mean, what for the people you think who've started on this journey and say, to hell with this, I'm going back to normal life. Mm-hmm. Like, do you think it takes a certain mental wiring or physical wiring or both A and B or a little craziness? Like what? I think that uh, the environment that you grow up in has a lot to do with the type of mentality that you have. My Mm -hmm. father was a professional. uh, So he did enduro racing. So he was a professional enduro racer, which is like enduro racing is uh, you're doing like 10 hour races on a dirt bike. So my father growing up, like I learned how to ride a dirt bike at four years old. And my dad was taking us on these massive like rides when I'm like four or five years old, like in the mountains in Mexico City. (laughs) What? So so you were like four and five years old on a dirt bike. Just riding like five hours, like going up like uh, a mountain, going like riding on the mountain, like riding through the water, like in waterfalls, like the desert, just like. My yeah, it was just something that that helped me kind of gain that mentality. So your whole so you, it's interesting, right? Because it seems like you probably had like a little deflated fear. I mean, seeing that in early age, yeah, up mountains, underneath waterfalls, you're like going fast <laughs> on a dirt bike. It just it helps. Uh, I was always afraid at first. I remember getting on the dirt bike. I was like, man. But then you get on the dirt bike and then you start learning, you start getting the feel for the throttle, like turning, the bra- braking and going through the rocks. And it's just, it's almost like a, an addiction. Like mm. you crave that adrenaline because when you're doing these things, you get this like adrenaline, your body like synthesizes adrenaline or something. It just makes you feel alive. So talk to people who may be listening and thinking, man, I didn't have that kind of background. I could never get into whatever it may be. Maybe yeah. it's even like a 5K, which could be a, a huge mountain for someone. Absolutely. Like, how would you coach them into just getting started? Yeah. Well, I think that you have to be comfortable being uncomfortable because in order to find mm. that passion, like like for me, running wasn't always... I remember the first time when I started training for this marathon, the first time that I went out on Iran... I ran about a mile, like 1.2 miles, and my knees were hurting and my lungs were hurting and I just felt out of shape and, you know, and it was uncomfortable. And it was very uncomfortable running until I got to, I think I was like three months in of like consistently running three to four times a week in which like my body got used to it, like my legs got stronger, my breath, like my breathing and everything. So it took me a a while. You have to go through this like uncomfortable process that can last a long time until you start seeing the results of your training over time Hmm. or training or it could be studying or it could be anything. And then you see you reap the benefits of all that hard work that you put that was uncomfortable. Dude, you're getting me pumped. (laughs) <laughs> to study for the bar exam no because like what you're saying as i'm listening to you that whole discomfort at the very beginning mm-hmm. i think most of the time what your brain starts telling you is 
this is going to be a constant state, right? Because you can't see around the bend. Yeah. So you're like, man, my knees are hurting. I can't breathe. Yeah. I'm just not a runner. Exactly. So screw it. And people get in that mindset because people like hit that mental uh, wall and they're like, I'm not a runner. I'm not a swimmer. I'm not a writer. I'm not an actor. I'm not, you know, and, yeah. and people have the power, I believe, to be whatever they want to be. But if in order to get there, you're going to have to go through a, a, a large period of discomfort before you can be comfortable doing the uncomfortable. Man. Okay, talk about the races. I'm going to pull up an email you sent, but I want you to talk about how many races have you completed to date? Do you have a number or have you lost count? I've, I, I've lost count. Yeah, I would want to say like probably like 20 in the 25 to 30. And the most satisfying for you? The most satisfying for me was Ironman Texas last April. Okay, so how how did you compete in that? How did you uh, finish? Yeah, so I uh, that was my second full Ironman. And my first Ironman, I, I did 11 hours and 51 minutes. And then my second Ironman, which is only a year apart from one another, I did 9 hours and 46 minutes. You shaved off an hour and a half yeah. in a year, yeah. which for folks out there, if you don't have any perspective on this, and I'm by no means an expert, that's a massive gain or loss, right? Like massive. Massive. <laughs> massive. Like uh, people don't like I've, I've shared that with people and people are like, what? You know, I mean, running uh, that, just running a sub 10 hour Ironman is something that a lot of people never can achieve. And I, I was just like, it, and it was just work ethic was what like working hard and pushing myself was the 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 different like made the difference in in the time i just dedicated myself more and i was like i was training more i was recovering better i was sleeping more you know cutting the drinking like not part not going and like partying and mm. just and and that was what got me to running that time only being my second ironman and yesterday was uh two my two year anniversary of me competing in triathlons so yesterday two years ago was my first triathlon ever Yesterday was the first one. Yeah, so wow. yesterday, two years ago, okay, two, okay, so yeah. it was my first triathlon ever. So I've been doing wow. triathlons for two years. And the progress that I've made in those two years is just very amazing. It's been very amazing to see my progress over the last couple of years. Do you feel like there's a limit? Like, do, do you have a sense of any sort of finish limit for you? I don't think so. I mean, I if you, you keep working hard and you keep having faith and you keep believing in yourself... There's no limit to anything that to anything. Now, listen, I want you to pull up. So Bernardo and I are great friends. um, And I've been thinking about bringing him on the podcast for a long time. But as you can tell, he's like one of the busiest guys. He and I would see each other at Trader Joe's, um, not Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, Whole Foods in the morning, you know, getting breakfast before starting the day we, we'd already like had a day before, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> before that right um but I, i'm walking down downtown austin i see a friend of bernardo's we start talking and he talks about an email that you sent out to people mm-hmm. when you decided to transition from your second job right yeah um into professional training into yeah yeah into becoming a professional triathlete yes yeah can you do you have that pulled up because I want, I want you to read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Let me see. Um, and I've got it here too. But he said to me, he's like, listen, you know, when people leave jobs, they usually throw out these bullshit sort of, hey, sorry, I couldn't say goodbye to everyone, but have a good life. Yeah. Yours was 
completely different. Do you mind reading that for folks? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, the name of the company is Snow Software. And I said, Dear Snow, it is bit bittersweet to announce that I am leaving this, this amazing company. It has been a privilege and an honor becoming friends with you and sharing time and space for the last year and eight months. I truly feel thankful that I was able to be part of something bigger than myself this entire time. I am happy to announce that I am going into real estate so that I can have flexibility in my day to train more in order to pursue my goals within triathlon. My passion. I highly encourage you to analyze and self-reflect on the things that make you feel alive slash happy and to be encouraged to pursue those passions to fulfill, to fulfill you at whatever cost. Life is too short not to be excited when you get, up, when you get out of bed in the morning. Who does that? Yeah. Right. I mean, most people would have just stopped at paragraph one and said, hey, here's my personal information if you want to get in contact with me. But for me, what really stood out, man, is this. I'm happy to announce that I'm going into real estate so that I can have flexibility in my day to train more in order to pursue goals within triathlon, my passion. I highly encourage you to analyze and folks in the tribe listen to this, to analyze and self-reflect on the things that make you feel alive slash happy and to be encouraged to pursue those passions that fulfill you at whatever cost. Damn. <laughs> yeah. What's the CEO of this uh, of the company thinking? <laughs> I know you didn't give a damn, but like, yeah. it's funny because I'm like, this so, would make you want to get out of your, stand up in your cubicle and say the hell with this. And, and funny enough, the president of the company replied to the email i have the reply right here and he said all the best bernardo thanks for your contribution to the business over the years and we look forward to seeing you on tv one day winning the iron man good luck and be safe <laughs> dude this is epic yeah so here, here's the here's what i think is like the major key you made the conscious decision to redefine your life in terms of your time commitments mm -hmm. so that you could fit your dream into that. Exactly. So it didn't become like a hobby. You're like, no, I'm going to restructure my profession yeah. in the way that I earn money in the short term mm -hmm. so I can spend more time doing this thing. Mm -hmm. And at some point, you're going to transition into full-time racing. Full -time racing. Yeah. But that transition process of, I think a lot of people see it as like a zero one. Either I'm like, working 40 hours at the company or 50 hours or I'm doing it I'm a professional athlete but you said I'm going to transition and be in between yeah. and then I'm going to build this up so that at one point I can say I'm all in absolutely dude that is nuts man <laughs> I mean how many people though okay critics I know you, you've had some what were you hearing from folks who weren't who couldn't understand like why you would make this kind of decision I mean, uh, when I told my, my dad, for example, he was like, are you crazy? I mean, I was making good money. I made, uh, I think I made like $88,000 yeah. to 2017 and now 25 year old making 88,000. That's a good chunk of change yeah. for, for being 25 to going from that to going from, I don't know what I'm going to do to make money. <laughs> like if for, for a certain per period of time, had some savings going into the transition. Uh, but you know, it, a lot of people are, I think a lot of people are afraid to go into the transition, A, because they're afraid of what people are going to think, B, for financial reasons. And I just said, you know what, like, I'm young, I'm healthy, I have a brain and I have two hands and I have the will 
to do whatever it takes in order for me to achieve the goals that I want to achieve. Mm. And when I made that commitment to being the best triathlete that I could be, it was as if the universe just fully had my back. Mm. So you could even feel a shift of just faith. Like I feel like my job was keeping me from growing as a person. And I feel like when I let go of it, like it was, it was helping me financially. Like my bank account was good and everything, but it was, it was hindering my growth as a human being. Um, And so the moment that I decided to not do something that I didn't enjoy anymore. And when I jumped into, okay, I'm going to go do something that I love and I enjoy it was as if life, the right relationship, the right people came into my life, the right opportunities came into my life, the right resources came into my life. And it was just like as if God or, or the universe just kind of like gave me what I needed in order to pursue like my my goals mm. that I that are from like deep from within. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like it's like in order to get that, the universe had to see you commit right commit and and really also embrace the unknown being able to embrace uncertainty being able to embrace the unknown of not knowing what's going to happen um and that really like once the universe like sees that you are jumping and you don't have a parachute on and you're about to like go into the rocks it's as if like some wings just like grow on the back of your back and you are able to like fly and like avoid that crash but you have to jump in order for you to experience that that level of 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 abundance yeah and for folks out there like there's a very supernatural feeling like there are different points along the journey and i think about when i started you know volunteering for the chiefs and I was sleeping at the stadium and getting up early. I was working out by myself, you know, and I'd go in and take pictures of the chalkboards to kind of learn more football. But there are these points where, like, you know, like, there's this supernatural. Mm-hmm. And it's very gradual. Mm-hmm. It just keeps you, okay, like, you get to the next day. Yeah. And then, like, something happens. You're like, okay, you kind of, you know, a couple of rungs up, right? Yeah. And you just keep going and going. But you don't, like you said, you don't get that feeling mm-hmm. unless you just jump. Yes. And only you will know. Your mother won't know. Your father won't know. Your best friends won't know. Your cousins won't know. Only you know that feeling. Mm. And only you have that picture in your mind. It doesn't matter what anybody else says or does. If you know and you see it, you can do it. You can achieve it. Man. All right. Two-minute drill, man. This has been awesome. (laughs) There's so much to ask you. Okay. (laughs) What is the title of the book that you have not written? Um, uh, Communicating transparency. Okay. Tell me more. Communicating transparency. Yeah. Just, and, and, and that comes to mind because you can, for you to be able to communicate clear thoughts to others and because a lot of people like communication is something that a lot of people assume that other people know information that they know and so they don't communicate as well as they should be and so being able to have the level of communication so that other people can get the full picture by you communicating it Mm. and not assuming that other people know the full picture and so communicating transparency i just think it would be huge for people to actually be able to have a give you a transparent picture of what's going on Mm. Think about, I love it. Think about your college days. And let's say you could build a course 
that every college student in the world would take? What would be the title of that class? So that was the title of the book. Mm-hmm. And now, and now it's class. a class. So like, let's say it's like a freshman required class, but it's not just UT. It's the University of Hong Kong. It's across the world. Is there something like from your life that you think every college student should learn? Uh, if, if, if there was a class that revolved around, I think the title would be Embracing the uncertainty mm. Mm. and really mm. touching up on 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 the intangibles the things that the foundation of people honesty integrity work ethic the things that you can't see if there was a class that was to touch up on all those things and being able to embrace not knowing for sure what's going to happen in the future then i think that would help a lot of people yeah you can't uh, get that in, in uh, organic chemistry no <laughs> they do not teach you that in okay yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> no, no not at all all right, last one. So this is this is how you're going to sign off to the world. So it's the last day on the planet. Uh-huh. You've got one last tweet mm-hmm. to send out to the globe. Mm-hmm. What would it say? Jump. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> one word, jump. 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 Nothing's going to make you feel more alive than jumping. Bernardo, man, so many nuggets of wisdom. <laughs> Jump about the best advice that, that folks out there in the tribe could get. So thanks so much, man, for coming on the show. Thank you. It's, it's an honor to be here. Love it, man. Woo! I don't know about you guys. Listen, just listening to that episode makes me tired. All right. Marathons, triathlons, all the things. Bernardo's a special guy, but I, I want you to really hone in on one thing. Once he made the decision that being an ultra athlete was the life that he wanted to live, you notice something. He made a choice. He started making affirmative moves. He sent that email. He left his job. He got a real estate gig that would be a little more conducive to creating that life that he wanted. And now he's marching forward. So with that, hey, listen, I want you to go out there. Keep saying yes. Stay in the deep end. No struggle, no problem.